So we're going to begin a new series today about encouragement. And the goal of our series over the next four weeks, we're going to look at four snapshots of an individual's life. And I hope that really two things, I hope that you will be encouraged by this series, but I also hope that we all will become an encouragement to someone else as a result of looking at this one individual who is known uh, in his place in Scripture primarily because he was an encourager. Now, I want to I ask if you recognize or does anyone know the meaning of this word, uh, the word sobriquet? Does anybody know what that means? Well, nobody reads my pastor's, my heart of the staff post because a few months ago, I'm joking, <laughs> it's been a while. This actually sobriquet means nickname. That's what this means. So if you have a nickname, you have a sobriquet. Now, there really, when you think about nicknames, there are really three different classes that people with nicknames fall into. You've got the individual who have uh, never had nicknames, right? You've never, maybe you wish you did, you knew people that did, but you never had a nickname of your own. There are people that have nicknames that only the people closest to you know what they are, and nobody else does, for some for good reason, some just because it's a family name that, uh, or, or something within your family that you, you call each other, or whatever the case may be. But then there's a class of people, the third class of people, uh, and those are folks that you only know them by their nickname. If you were to have to, to say their real name, their given name, you wouldn't know what it is. Um, and there are several people that fall into that category. The first church I ever pastored, there was a guy by the name of Spud McNeese. To the, I, I can't remember his real name now because that's all we knew. I knew it at the time, but I can't remember now because that's all we knew. We called him Spud, right? And there are people, uh, famous people. Uh, you think about uh, some of them you may know, Babe Ruth. Some of you may know his real name, George Herman, but some people only know him by Babe Ruth, right? Tiger Woods. I got to be honest, I can't think of his real name right now. Uh, what was it? Okay, I, I, I can't hear that well enough to, to repeat it. That could go badly. So I'm <laughs> uh, uh, Stonewall Jackson. I mean, there, you, you, the list goes on. Um, and, and some of you may fall in that category, right? You just go by a nickname or it's a shortened version of your real name, and that's what people know you by. And there's a man in Scripture that is named Joseph. And it's actually Joseph, and we don't know him by that name. That's his given name, but his real name is, is Joseph. But his nickname is Barnabas, and that's what we know him by. His nickname actually means son of encouragement. So you look at this guy in Scripture, and he is so, he's so known by encouragement that people don't even call him by his real name. You mentioned Joseph. Nobody knows that they think of uh, Jesus, earthly father, right? They don't think of this guy because everybody knew him by this nickname. Encouragement was so much a part of this guy's life that that became his name. Um, this guy Barnabas was such an encourager. Again, he's called the encourager or son of encouragement. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at four snapshots in Barnabas' life. We're going to look at his encouragement through generosity. We're going to look at his encouragement through friendships. We're going to look at his encouragement through the church or in the church and how he encouraged in a time of failure in someone's life. We're going to look at him as an example of encouragement. Hopefully, we will be encouraged and then become an encouragement to others. I want to say a word about encouragement. Matt Slick said this. He said, when life is tiring, when you're struggling with your sin, when family members aren't saved, when the bills aren't paid, when work is exhausting, when your health is failing, when your loved ones are hurt, when the future is unsure, when a good friend leaves, it's easy to be discouraged, he writes. Discouragement, he goes on, is a thief. It steals your vitality, your zeal, your joy, your peace, and your contentment. If discouragement dwells too long with you, its friends will soon join in, and the friends of discouragement have the names fatigue, hopelessness, despair, self-pity, depression, doubt, and bitterness. You know, life can be discouraging, can it? There's a lot of things that happen that, that can cause us to be discouraged in life. And so we need encouragement. Encouragement is an, an incredible word when you really think about it. When you think about all that's involved in encouragement, it's a truly awesome thing. And, and we see Stuart Briscoe reminds us of the core of this word. When we look at the, this, 
this word encouragement. The very core of the word is the word core. It's a French word, uh, C-O-U-R. It's a French word that, that literally means heart. So at the very heart of the word encouragement is the word heart. And the heart of also the word encouragement, we see the word courage. So when you look at that, the heart of encouragement to encourage is to put heart into people, to have, to impart courage, to, to give that to others, to encourage that in others so that they will try, they will risk, and they will press on in life when life gets difficult, when life is depressing. So to encourage is to come alongside someone, to have compassion, to have caring, to be willing to put heart into them, to encourage them, uh, to, to give them an extra added dose of strength to move on, to press on, to say, though, I want heart in your life. You know, it, it's, it's, it's one thing to say you want to encourage someone, but to say I want to add heart to your life is to be willing to prop somebody up, to be there for them. I want you to have the heart and the willingness, the ability to press on. You know, all of us could tell a story in our lives where someone came alongside us and did that for us, right? Where somebody came to where we were and, and was the encouragement that we needed to help us to continue to press on in that time. Encouragement is powerful. It's really a stimulus for the soul. It, it, it gives us that added boost. God uses other people to provide that for us. We should never underestimate the power of encouragement, and that's why this is so important. Um, at Wall Highway, at this church and this body of believers and many other churches, I think sometimes we lose sight of the importance of encouragement. Maybe we don't recognize the importance or we don't place it a priority because our lives are so full and our lives are so busy. Uh, we need encouragement so we don't think about being an encouragement to somebody else. But 30 times in the New Testament, the duty of a believer is described as encouraging someone else another believer. Encouragement is contagious. It's, it, it, once one, one member begins to encourage one person, that person wants to encourage somebody else, and it's contagious. It spreads. Encouragement is a catalyst for our lives. It propels us to accomplish the Great Commission. If we want to make disciples of Jesus, encouragement is a vital impart, uh, part of that. It's so wrapped up in the Great Commission. And if we're going to come alongside people and compel them to press on, to take risks, to move forward in life and fulfilling the purpose, the mission, the vision that God has given them, then we've got to be willing to be encouragers for each other. And in this world, we know that life is hard, but God is good and he is faithful and he gives us encouragement by his love and all that he's provided for us. So we want to, or we should want to be encouragers like Barnabas. We should want that to be our nickname. And because we, when we do that, when we become a Barnabas, when we become encouragers and lift other people up, we have no idea how far-reaching that can be for the kingdom of God. Let me give you a biblical example. In the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark was written by who? Mark. Yeah. The Gospel of Mark, and sometimes, you know, you believe it or not, there are people that disagree with, with, with that, but the Gospel of Mark was written by a guy named Mark. Fourteen of the New Testament books were written by a guy named Paul. Now, here's the deal. It's very likely that both of those guys would have quit the ministry had it not been for a guy with a nickname Barnabas, and we're going to look at that over the next couple of weeks, and how he played such an important role in their lives because he encouraged, because he was willing to come alongside them when nobody else would. They, these two guys, and many more in the faith that we don't know about, continued on, pressed on, took a risk, and finished. Barnabas, real guy, real name Joseph, an ordinary guy who was called out by God to be an encouragement. A Jewish man, Barnabas was from the island of Cyprus. We have no idea how he came to Christ. We don't know much about his background. We just know that he did, that Jesus came into his life. In the books of, book of Acts, we know, although we don't know a lot about his past, we know that when we meet him in the book of Acts, he is a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ. He 
is in love with Christ, and so he is passionately pursuing Christ in his life and helping others do the same. He's totally committed to the church. If we love Jesus, we're going to love what Jesus loves, and we know that Jesus loves his bride. Barnabas knew that. He loved his church. He loved Christ's church. He's committed to the Great Commission, to making and growing disciples. In the book of Acts, he's one of the major characters of that book. Now, you look at the book of Acts. Acts is the Acts of the Apostles, or literally, actually, the Acts of Jesus through his apostles in the beginnings of the church, and the church going out from Jerusalem to the nations uh, following the ascension of Jesus Christ. It's how Jesus is working through his church. And a guy named Barnabas is mentioned something like 25 times in this book. So he's, he's instrumental in the beginning of that process and in the lives of the apostles. And every time we see him, he's looking for somebody to bless. He's looking for someone to pour into, to be an encouragement to. He's relentless in his passion, his hunt to encourage people. So we're going to look at four snapshots, and we need to understand that God intentionally put this story in the Bible to impact our story. Like every other story in the Bible, God put this guy named Barnabas and these snapshots from his life in the Bible to impact us, because you and I will, through him, be encouraged and hopefully become an encouragement to someone else. The first snapshot of Barnabas' uh, life as an encourager we find in Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. So you can turn there if you haven't already. We see Barnabas as an encourager through his generosity. So we begin in Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. Now, a large, the large group of those who believed were of one heart and mind. And I kind of want to just dig into this a little bit, okay, these, these passages of Scripture. So you know, we're going to spend some time digging in, and then we'll hopefully not too fast, but rush through the outline, all right? Uh, not rush, but it'll be a little quicker than what we're going to do right now, because I, I think we really need to look into to the life of Barnabas here, all right? So he was an encourager, and these group of believers uh, come together, and we see that they are united. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, Jesus has risen from the grave. He gives the church his marching orders, right? He says, here's what you're to do for the rest of your life. Take the gospel from Jerusalem, Judea, uh, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The Great Commission. You're to love people to me, is what he's saying. And then the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, where we see uh, 3,000 plus people saved. And they enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit fills these, these new believers, and they have a personal relationship with Christ. And now we come to Acts chapter 4, where we pick up today. And we see this multitude of believers that is the church. The church is growing rapidly. These believers, uh, they are of one heart and one soul. They are united in Christ and in their mission. We have to understand that these new people, these brand new believers, this church is so raw and so young, they're brand new to the faith. And there's no doubt that when some of these new believers came to Christ, they are being persecuted, okay? They're facing persecution because they have converted and believed in Jesus Christ. Some have been, would have been kicked out of their homes. Some would have lost property as a result of their faith in Jesus Christ. They were facing persecution persecuted because of their faith. They're needy. So how is the church, who, which is so young and so raw, under persecution, great discouragement, how are they going to respond to, to their situation? And some of them needy now because they've been kicked out of their homes, lost property or whatever. How are they going to respond in this situation in a way that they don't become so discouraged that Satan is allowed to shut this thing down before it ever gets started. I mean, this is a critical moment in the life of the church. Look at the next few verses. The large group, now the large group of those who believed were of one heart and one mind, and no one said, any, uh, uh, said that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. They began to share. And the apostles were giving testimony with great power to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. For there was not one needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds uh, of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. They put it into the church. This was then distributed for each person's basic needs. Now, stop right there. This is not communism, okay? 
they aren't being communism is when you force people to give up their stuff and attempt to make everybody equal and, and it never works. This is voluntarily out of the goodness of their hearts, out of their commitment to Christ. These people are giving, they're sharing their possessions with each other. Some people don't have possessions anymore. Some people have been kicked out of their families and they don't have what they need to survive. And so the church comes together and those who have begin to share with those who have not. And so they are sharing their possessions. It's a community of love and grace and people willingly, voluntarily give up uh, they, to, to their, for their brothers and sisters in Christ. So the people in the church pull their resources to help those who are in need. Here's the thing. Before I go any further, if all you hear from this message this morning is money, that's not what this is about. It involves that, certainly. But we're talking about sharing lives with one another. We're talking about giving and meeting the needs. Uh, this isn't a, even a message about tithing, okay? This is about if God has blessed me, I want to bless others who are in need. That's what this is about. We should be generous with our smiles, with our love, with our things, certainly with our time, with our abilities, and with our prayer. And so here's the early church. All this stuff's going on, and God pulls out one individual, Joseph, who's going to get the nickname Barnabas. Look at verse 36. Joseph, a Levite, and the Cypriot by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and then brought the money and laid it at the disciples' feet. So Barnabas was so generous, he wanted to bless other people. He knew there was a need. He wanted to bless other people. He wanted the gospel to go out. So he looked at his possessions, he took them, he saw what he had, he sold them, and he used the proceeds to bless the church. He didn't want these new believers to get discouraged. He didn't want what, was, what God intended for the church to be snuffed out because of discouragement. He didn't want them to quit. And what happens is the result is the apostles, they see this, they see his example, and they say, hey, this guy, that, Joseph, we're not going to, this is so encouraging we're not going to call you Joseph anymore. Now your name is encouragement, the encourager. Your name is now Barnabas because life, your life overflows with blessings to other people. That's why they choose to call him them. So now, from now on, when you talk about him, we, we don't think about Joseph. We think Barnabas. He, he is such a blessing to others. He is such an encouragement. He is now known by that name. I want a nickname like that. How about you? I want people in my life who have a nickname like that. Uh, and I do have people in my life who have that nickname from me because they are such encouragers. They are such a blessing to me and my family. And we should want to be that for other people. Uh, and Barnabas, I want to share quickly three things about his encouragement here from Acts chapter 4. We know who he is now. We know how he got his name. Well, what is it about what he did in Acts chapter 4 here? Well, we see he's a generous encourager, and the first thing is we know from him that generous encouragers see the need. You know, what I love about Barnabas is that, you know, he didn't have some self-absorbed cocoon where he, you know, he could only see himself. He was able to recognize the needs in other people. He was a real guy in the real world. He had problems of his own. I guarantee you that. He had struggles of his own. He had things going on in his life. That, that consumed him, I'm sure, but he was able to see outside of that. He was able to see the importance of what was happening and, and, and the need that was in front of him and the people that were desperately in need of encouragement. So he was a Jesus-focused, others-focused guy, and we see that in this act, in Acts chapter 4. And he wants you and I, Jesus does, to be that same type of person in our life. He wants to see us to be able to see other people through his eyes, to be able to see other people the same way that he sees them, how he sees them, where he sees them. And he wants us to live a life that engages other people uh, with compassion and encouragement and help in time of need, generosity of, of our lives with our love, with our lives themselves, with our stuff if need be, with whatever we have, whatever we can do, to invest in the lives of other people with our smiles, kindness, whatever it is. If we're going to be encouragers like Barnabas to encourage, we have to care. And if we care, we'll be aware. We'll have our eyes open to the needs around us. It's easy to get wrapped up in life. It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to be oblivious to the needs of others around us. But if we're encouragers like Barnabas, we'll be aware of that. We'll care about the people around us. 
Um, you know, how can I say truly that I care about others if I'm not aware of the needs? And we're all guilty of that. None of us are exempt from that. But if I'm truly want to be an encourager, I'm going to be aware of the needs around me. Barnabas did that. He knew that some were being persecuted, some were needy. He knew the need of the gospel was great. He knew the mission of the church was vital to the ends of the earth. His friends were struggling. The people he cared about were struggling. So he saw the need, and then he was willing to meet that need. And we'll miss that. We'll miss them, those people in need, if, we're not, if our eyes aren't open. I want to show you a picture of a little guy. Uh, hopefully, there he is. It's a little grainy, but uh, you see a guy, a little boy, and he's praying at a table with a man. And this was at a Waffle House in Prattville, Alabama. It's a few years back, and this little boy's name is Josiah Duncan. And he and his mom, it was his birth, Josiah's birthday. He wanted to go to Waffle House for his birthday. That was his place. So he goes to Waffle House, and his mom and he are sitting there eating, and he notices this man standing outside in rough, ragged clothes, and he's just standing out on the sidewalk. And he begins, like all curious little boys do, he begins to ask his mom questions. Why is that man standing outside by himself? And his mom says, well, um, he doesn't, uh, he's homeless. He doesn't have uh, anywhere to be, so he's, He's standing out there by himself, and he says, Josiah says, well, why doesn't he come in and get something to eat? And his mom says, well, he doesn't have any money. He's homeless. What does it mean to be homeless, mom? What does that mean? Well, it means he doesn't have a home. You mean he doesn't have a place to sleep at night? He doesn't have anywhere to go? Uh, No, son, that's exactly what that means. Yes, it means that he doesn't have a home. He doesn't have any family. She said, well, I don't know, but but he doesn't have anybody to help him. And he, like, you know, the pure... Uh, motives of a child, right? He says, well, mom, why don't we go invite him in and buy him something to eat? And his mom says, well, I don't know why not. Why don't we do that? And they invite him into the Waffle House, and he walks in, and, and he, you can kind of tell that uh, the waiters, everybody's a little bit you know, standoffish. And so little Josiah, he, he says, let me get you a menu. He grabs the guy menu, and he says, order whatever you want. It's on my mom. <laughs> I don't know if he said that exactly, but that, he did say, order whatever you want, anything you want on this menu. And he notices that nobody's waiting on this guy. So he, Josiah calls the waiter over and he gets the waiter over there uh, so that this man can order his meal and get his food. And, and, and the whole Waffle House is watching this unfold, right? This little guy doing this for this man. And so just as, as he gets his meal, Josiah says, hey, can I pray with you? to bless your food. And he says, little God, our father, God, he's praying this out loud in the Waffle House. When he gets done, there's not a dry eye in the Waffle House. Everybody's just in tears, broken up. This little guy saw a need. Nobody else was paying attention or they weren't willing to step out and help this guy. And he went and got this guy, made sure he was fed, made sure his immediate needs were met. And then he also touched on his spiritual needs by praying. What an amazing example of encouragement straight from a child. We should not only want to be a Barnabas, we should want to be a Josiah too, I think, uh, to be willing to be an encouragement, regardless of our age, regardless of your situation, whatever influence you think you do or don't have, you can be an encouragement to somebody in your life today. So here's, I think, a lesson. Let's ask the Lord to open our eyes and our hearts to make us aware of the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs around us. Let's Ask the Lord to give us a heart for the people around us. And you know what God will do? He will empower us. He will empower you to meet the needs, to be aware and to meet the needs by being an encouragement in whatever way he's given you the ability to do that. You've got to see it, first of all. We've got to be able to see the needs. But not only must we see the needs in order to be generous encouragers, generous encouragers know that God meets their needs. The reason I can be generous with my time or whatever smiles, letters, yes, my stuff. If I, if the reason I can do that so freely is because I know that God meets my needs. Barnabas was a blessed guy. He obviously had some stuff. He obviously was wealthy. He had land. And listen, in this day and time, land was wealth. If you had land, that was your future. So essentially what Barnabas is doing here is he's, he's giving away his, his, his retirement to to encourage the, those who, and to provide for those who didn't have. And, and, and you know, I, I don't know really how Barnabas, none of us know how he came to Christ, but we know in this, from this 
in this, his example that he is a follower of Christ. We don't know the circumstances about how he came to Christ, but here's what we know. We know that at some point in Barnabas' life, he recognized, and, and probably in, in the immediate future from this, he recognized that he was lost and that he was in sin. And he came to the knowledge that Jesus Christ died for his sins, that Jesus, the most generous gift of all, gave his life so that he could be saved. And Barnabas recognized under the conviction of the Holy Spirit that he needed to be saved. And so he invited Jesus into his life. He surrendered his life to Christ. And what he experienced in that is what we, all of us who know Jesus experienced was that his, he was free from sin, that his life was made new, that he was recreated, that he had been given the greatest gift in the world. And it so transformed his life that he was willing to give up whatever he could, whatever God called him to, in order to be able to encourage others and to advance the kingdom, to grow the church, for other people to come to know Christ. And so because of his own transformation, the generosity that he had experienced, the encouragement that he had experienced from coming to know Christ, he became an encourager to others. Barnabas knows he can meet the needs of others because he's already had his needs met in Jesus Christ. And so he sets out to do that. He knows this. He knows that when we have been blessed, we have been blessed to bless other people. Amen. We've not been blessed to hoard our blessings. You see, you see we, we, we shouldn't be like swimming pools where we collect all the blessings and hoard them. We should be more like a pipe where the blessings come in one, in one end and out the other. That's what we should be. And that's what Barnabas is. He's been blessed He's been blessed spiritually, most importantly, but obviously he's also been blessed materially, and so he's using what he has, his resources, to bless other people. Think about the generosity. We should be like that pipe where blessings flow out. Think about the generosity of God, what he's done for us. For those of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, think about what you were rescued from, slavery and bondage to sin. No hope, no destiny, no future, nothing but separation from God for all of eternity. And God gave his one and only son so that you and I could be free from that. We could be free from sin and have a future in him. We could have a future in glory. We could have purpose in this life that goes beyond the temporary and the present. Think about what God has done to sustain you. First of all, he created you. He gave you life. So without him, we wouldn't have life. He sustains your life from day to day, right? He gives us what we need. He provides for us spiritually. He provides for us physically. Sometimes he uses other people, certainly. But he provides for us so that we can have uh, security and hope and and a foundation in him. And then, of course, he gives us salvation and a future with him in heaven. Think about all the things that God has done. Think about the generosity of God in your life time and time and time again, and how he's always come through time and time and time again. And when I think about the encouragement that I get in my life because of what God has done for me, I want others to experience that as well. That's what's happened here with Barnabas. He's been so encouraged by what Jesus has done in his life, by what God did through his son Jesus Christ in his life, that he wants others to be encouraged as well. He becomes, as a result, among other things, as we'll see, a generous encourager. Barnabas knows that God meets, has met his needs, and he, he knows that God will always meet his needs. He's willing to give up this so that others can have their needs met, so that he can be a blessing to others. And that's what it's like for a guy like Barnabas. He knows who God is in his life. And you may say, I don't have land to sell, and you may not. You know, you know, land was wealth in that day, and listen, today it's, especially around here, you know, uh, it's it's that too, you know. It's one of the most valuable investments you can have. You say, well, I may not have land to sell. Um, I'm glad Barnabas had did, and he was willing to do this. But I, I don't have anything like that where I can sell. And you may not. Maybe you're a college student and you live on beanie weenies or or whatever, uh, ramen noodles, you know, whatever. You may be in a tough fix right now. You don't have any resources necessarily, and that's okay because you have other. You may not material resources, but you have other things, right, that you can give. It has nothing to do with how much we've got. It's not about how much money or whatever. Here's what it's about. All of us are in a position to encourage others by expressing compassion and providing for their needs. That can come in a lot of different forms. 
Your resources may not be much. Your resources may be great, but I guarantee you, you have something that you can give to someone else. And the reason I know that is because here's what Jesus said. Jesus just simply said a cup of cold water. Now think about that. All right, a cup of cold water. How complicated is that? If you've got a cup and you've got a spigot, there you go. You can get a cup. You, even if you don't have a home where you have a source of water, you can find water somewhere, right? Water's pretty easy to come by. And even something as simple as a cup of cold water. Now, God may call you to give somebody your refrigerator, <laughs> something more complicated than that. Um, but it may just be this, just simply a cup of cold water to somebody in need, somebody who's thirsty. Um, we all have something that we can give. It just doesn't have to be financial resources. It doesn't have to be material possessions. It can be your time, a note of encouragement, a phone call, you know, raking somebody's yard. They need some help. You know, it can be you, you may have a skill, an ability that somebody else doesn't have that you can use to meet somebody else's need. It doesn't have to be complicated, but I guarantee you, you have something that you can give. We all have some degree of ability. We have things that there are other people in your life that can do things you can't, and you can do things that those people can't. It works both ways. It may be helping that single mom with her kids. I, I don't know. But here's what I know. There is more to life than living for self. Live for Jesus and give your life away by being a blessing and an encouragement to others. Um, that's, that's one of the ways we give our lives away, by encouraging and blessing other people. It strengthens the church. It strengthens our witness. And I'm sure I've shared some version of this before, but in 2009, um, we went on a mission trip to China. And we, just a, a small handful of us, and we're, we're talking a lot about that, our sending team and all that in the next few weeks, uh, getting ready for the upcoming mission projects for the year. And and we, uh, we, you know, it was, it was a struggle early on really determining, God, is this something you want us to do? And, and we, we, we all prayed and we spent time, a lot of time, uh, praying through that and seeking the Lord and, and through his word and, and circumstances and, and all of that. And it became clear that God wanted us to go. Um, and so we began really working towards that. And, and, and as we were getting ready to purchase our plane tickets, um, we were faced with a big obstacle. The plane tickets uh, went up drastically. So we thought we were, you know, everything was lining up, everything was going, and all of a sudden these tickets go up. So we just met. We all met together um, and prayed about, is this where we're supposed, Lord, are we off track here? You know, is this something, you know, do we get something wrong here? And, and God just gave us a piece and basically just told us just, just to, to sit still and just to wait. And sure enough, within a week, two weeks, somebody that we didn't, I still to this day don't know who did this. Somebody in our group know, knew who it was, but they wanted to do it anonymously. They just wrote a check, didn't know us, wasn't connected to our church in any way, found out about our mission trip and decided they had the resources. They wrote a check, covered the plane tickets and more. We didn't have to raise another dime after that. And, and I learned a lesson in that, that God will provide. And, and, you know, that person, again, I, God knows his name. I don't know who it was. It may have been a her for all I know. I think we may have known that it was, it was a man, but I don't know for sure. I just know that it was somebody who had the ability and chose to do that. And as a result, we were able to follow what God had called us to do. Um, when you're blessed, you want to bless somebody else, you know. But it doesn't have to, have to be a check. It doesn't have to be financial resources. Think about uh, the opportunities around us. Think about our Lunches of Love program, where we partner with the local school and provide meals for kids that need it. Think about Operation Christmas Child that we are beginning right now. You know, lunches of love, children that need a meal, Operation Christmas Child, children that don't have band-aids or toothbrushes, that, that need, you know, simple things that you and I take for granted. It does it don't underestimate the power of a simple act by providing a meal or a toothbrush. I mean what that can do to encourage somebody and to point people to Jesus. Because when we're lifting others up, what we're doing is we're lifting Jesus up. We're, we're lifting him up as our banner and showing them who our Savior is. We've been blessed to bless others. When you know you're blessed in Jesus, you have a passion to bless others with Jesus. Third thing, generous encouragers act to meet needs. I'm going to try some of this cold water. It's good, too. 
Generous encouragers act to meet needs. Barnabas actually did something. He acted. Look at verse 37. Again, in the New King James Version, having land, he sold it. And he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Encouragement is always active. It's never passive. Now, if we're thinking about encouraging someone, if we're talking about encouraging someone, that's not the same as encouraging someone, is it? Encouragement is acting, is, is action. It's, it's active. It's something you actually have to, to do something. You have to interact. You have to get involved with the world, with other people. And sometimes that can get messy if you're willing to do this. But you've got to be willing to act. It may be a quick thing. Maybe just one simple act of just a simple cup of cold water, but it may be more involved than that. It may take time. It may be an instant. It may be weeks. It may be longer than that. It's an act, but you interact. You get your life involved with other people's lives so that you can be an encouragement. Barnabas did this in his life. He moved. He acted. He sold land. He realized that 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 was more important. And again, in this day, land was money. Land was your future. So he's giving essentially his retirement. I'm sure there were people in his life that said, Barnabas, are you crazy? You're giving away your future here. You're set. If you'll just hold on to what you've got, you're set. You're taken care of. Your family's taken care of. And I'm sure Barnabas was... His response was something along the lines of, no, I'm not giving away my future. I'm investing in a future that will never end, that goes beyond this, this temporary life. He was investing in the kingdom. He was investing in eternity. In eternity. Middle Floss Magazine gave an article about how currency in our country doesn't circulate very long. This is a few years old, but he said a dollar bill lasts around 21 months. A $5 bill lasts about 16 months. A $10 bill lasts about 18 months. And a $20 bill about 24 months. They have to throw them away after that because they circulate so much they get worn out. They, they just don't, don't last very long. And there was an, a, a great insight that somebody had as a result of that. I just want to read it for you. While currency itself in itself doesn't last long, the effect of what's invested in God's kingdom lasts for eternity. That's why Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. It doesn't last very long. Lay up treasures in heaven because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Barnabas wasn't giving away his future. He was investing in eternity. That's the, and he had that eternal perspective, and that's why he was willing to do this. The bride of Christ, he laid it at the apostles' feet. He was doing it for the bride of Christ. If you say, again, if you say you love Jesus, you'll love what Jesus loves. And he loves his bride. He cares for his bride. In Ephesians, it says that Jesus loved his bride so much that he's willing to lay down his life. And so we should have the same type of love. And I see in our culture where people, you know, say, I love Jesus and I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. And I I don't, you can't reconcile that with how Jesus compassionately loves his bride. You can't. You can't have both of those perspectives. And I just, I just want to say thank you to the Barnabas people in this church. There's so many of you who are generous encouragers. I've felt it in my life, and, and I know you as members have felt it, who are willing to give your time in this crazy, fast-paced world with one ball game after another, with one committee meeting after the next, with so many things pulling at your attention. You're willing to give your time and your talents and your ability and, yes, your resources to be able to do what we feel God is leading us to do, to get involved in the things that maybe, uh, you know, maybe wouldn't be your first choice, to leave things that may be good things, but God's calling you to do something more more, uh, of an eternal value, who are willing to give up in order to see others fulfill their purpose in Christ. Our church is filled with those people, generous encouragers, all willing to do that, to serve. God is using you regardless of what you think you have to offer and how important you think it is in comparison to somebody else. God is using you to be a Barnabas to other people. God is using you to change people's lives, to change the lives of babies and children and, and students and adults. He's using you to impact his kingdom with love and compassion and affection for his glory. He's using you to create a place where Jesus is worshiped, where disciples are made and where people grow in their faith and grow in the Lord. He's using you to cultivate an environment where our kids can learn about Christ and grow in the Lord and fulfill the purpose that God has given them and grow into adults 
who love and serve the Lord, to come alongside parents and help equip them to create, to raise the next generation who loves the Lord and serves the Lord. All that happens when there's an environment and a community like Acts chapter 4, where love and unity is present, where people look out for the needs of others. And I pray our church, by God's grace, that that takes place. It does and continues to take place. That's why in Acts chapter 13, it describes Barnabas as being full of joy and full of the Holy Spirit. And when we see him, I mean, he's, he's that way because he gets this. You know why he's so full of joy? Because Jesus said in Acts 20, 35, it's more blessed to what? To give than to receive. And he knew that. He knew he had received much and he wanted to bless others. Don't miss out on the blessing that God is giving you the opportunity to make. Barnabas is committed to the bride with his time, his abilities, his things, an incredible way. So here's, where are we with this, all right, as we kind of close it in? If our hearts have a tight grip on loving God and people, then our hands will have a loose grip on stuff. And put it another way, Jesus over stuff, whatever that stuff is. You know, having him as the centerpiece, having him first place all if it's ever stuff over jesus even if it's good things um, it won't satisfy you won't find blessing and fulfillment barnabas had a such a tight grip on loving god and loving christ he could give away his earthly future so that god's kingdom would be advanced my question for you today is have you been encouraged by the greatest way possible by receiving the greatest gift ever given the gift of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. He really loved you enough to die for you. He died for your sins. He died for my sins. And he wants you to receive that gift. And all you have to do is turn to him in repentance. Recognize, agree with him that you have sinned like we all have. Believe that he died for your sins. That he was raised from the dead. And invite him into your life. And if you will do that, you will receive the greatest gift of encouragement. And so much more. Eternal life through your Savior, Jesus Christ. And you can call him Savior. It's the encouragement of generosity. God is so generous. He's, giving, he's given the free gift of eternal life. He's offering the free gift of eternal life. And for those who know Jesus, be encouragers. Be generous encouragers. Here's your homework, all right? I don't usually give homework, I guess, but today is different. We want to go out this way. Here's your, go out this week. And pray every day, Lord, give me an opportunity to touch somebody's life by being a generous encourager. Just open my eyes to the people around me. Could be within this church, could be outside the church. Open my eyes, just like Josiah in that Waffle House. Open my eyes to somebody that I can, it may be something, again, maybe a cold, cup of cold water. It may be giving your refrigerator and living out a cooler until you get one. As complicated as that, it may be raking somebody's yard, it may be writing a letter, it may be meeting somebody's need that you just come into contact with that you don't even know. But I guarantee you, if you pray, if you and I will pray for that opportunity, God will give us that opportunity. And then it's up to us to take advantage of that opportunity. Cultivate generous encouragement in your life. Hey, in this church, on our, just go to our announcements page. I'm going to be going over those in a few minutes, right? And that's about when everybody tunes me out, if you haven't already. That's okay. But that's what the announcements page is for. Just go scroll through that page. See all the ways you can get plugged in and, and be this encourager. I mean, all the different opportunities, you know, serving in our nursery or our children's ministry or serving in our student ministry, the hospital ministry led by Brother Luke, serving in the sending team. Our senders team is meeting this Saturday, uh, preparing to go out to send out a team to Ecuador and possibly other places next year. I mean, there, there are so many. We just formed a new ministry team for our homebound folks, and they're, they're going to partner with our deacons and our senior adults and, and, and minister to those folks who can't be with us here today because they're not physically able to. I mean, just scroll through that announcements page and look at all the different things that are going on and find if you're, if you're not having any encounters, go look for an encounter through one of the opportunities that we have here at Wall Highway to be a generous encourager. There are ways that you can give your life to others. There's powerful encouragement and generosity. And I want to tell you a story. And I know I keep saying I'm wrapping up. I try not to do that. But I want to tell you a story. Um, 
right after seminary, Mandy and I went to East Moss Point Baptist Church in Moss Point, Mississippi, down on the coast. We lived in Pascagoula. And yeah, that's the, the, the city that Ray Stevens wrote the song about the squirrel. <laughs> I didn't pastor that church, but I think I knew that church down there. <laughs> but it was a great church. It was a wonderful. They loved us. They loved on us. We were like their, their kids, and Gracie was born there. And I've told you this story before, but right after Gracie was born, about a month after she was born, two months almost, Hurricane Katrina destroyed our house. I've told you that story. I'm not going to retell that story. But we lost our house as a result of Hurricane Katrina. I want to say this first. This isn't, don't take this as bragging because I have no right to brag. But one of the commitments that Mandy and I made early on in our marriage is that we would always tithe, that nothing would ever come in and, and, and interfere with that. And we always have. We're, we're, we're not perfect in a lot of areas. I have failed in a lot of areas, but that's something we've always done. And we've always give, given above that when we have the, the opportunity to do that. And I believe that God's word is true. And I believe because of that, he has blessed us. And, and you know, we've never missed a payment on a bill, sometimes within the grace period when things were tight. We've never gone without anything. We've never, I mean, you know, there have been times we've had to give up things we wanted, but we've always had what we needed, and God placed people in our lives to provide for those needs. We've had faith that God would take care of us, and that faith was tested in a huge way when that hurricane hit, and we lost our first house, lost pretty much everything, with, except for a few pieces of furniture her, dad, her granddad made out of solid oak heavy stuff. Everything else was that particle stuff. And it just, but we lost pretty much everything. And so our faith was tested. Well, soon after that, you know, we get back and we have this, this job and it's massive. The whole coast is wiped out, right? And so our neighbors, everybody's in the same boat that we're in. And we've got this task of trying to put our house back together. Well, sure enough, God provided mission teams to come down from my home church, from Mandy's Dad's church at the time, other mission teams to come down and work on not only our house, but other houses in our neighborhood. We were able to, to uh, share that with people. Resources they brought with them, because listen, sheetrock was hard. You think materials are hard to come by now. In that area at that time, I mean, sheetrock was gold. I mean, it was just went. Everybody needed it, because everybody's house was torn up. And so God sent those mission teams, and our house got put back together pretty quickly. And so... We were faced then with, okay, now we've got to refurnish our house. New furniture, new flooring, new appliances, and insurance paid very little. This isn't a slam against insurance companies, but that's the reality. We didn't have flood insurance. We got very little compared to the damage that we got. And so we, you know, we're, we're faced with this challenge. How are we going to do this? Um, and we, we didn't know what, what the answer was. And, and God provided in various ways, but we knew he had given us these mission teams that he had provided for their needs. And so one day I get a call. And listen, I know this church is, has been in the news in a negative way lately, and I don't agree with everything they've done, but they had a huge impact on our lives at this particular time. I get a phone call from a guy from Saddleback Church in California, Rick Warren's church. Didn't know me, didn't know anybody. He said, I'm touring the coast, the damaged area. And I would like for you to take me around your community and show me what's going on there. And I'm thinking, I've got mission teams coming in that I'm trying to organize and get to different houses, people inside the church, outside the church that I'm trying to get help to. I've got my schedules full. I'm still trying to put my house back together. I don't have time to give a tour of the damaged area, but I said yes. And so I took him around. I showed him the worst spots in the city. I showed him the coast, all those places where those 200-year-old houses used to be. They got washed out to sea. I took him to my house. I showed him my house and where we were and putting it back together. I took him to the church and showed him the damage there and how we were progressing there. And I, after it was all over with, I talked to, told him about my family, my new young baby girl, my daughter and my wife, and how this was our first church and all this kind of stuff. And we talked and we prayed, and, and then we got done. And he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out an envelope. Doesn't know me from Adam. Pulls out an envelope. He says, I want you to open that. And I open it and it's a check for $5,000. Don't know me. Don't know him. And he said, listen, I know pastors. And I know what you're going to be tempted to do with this. He said, you're going to be tempted to give this to your church. You're going to be tempted to give this to somebody else. But this is not what this is for. This is for you, your wife, and your baby girl. And so I'm blown away. I don't know him. He said, we're going to do something else for you, too. You've had a rough couple of months, right? And I said, yeah, it's been you know, pretty rough. He said, we're going to play to fly you out to California and spend a week with one of our families. And you can go to the Purpose Driven Conference. You cannot go. You just, we want to get you away so that you can have a vacation and some time away. And I'm going to tell you, it wasn't 
the check. It wasn't the week away, which I needed desperately. It wasn't, you know, uh, spending time. It was great to, to meet a new person. It wasn't having more resources to put our house back together. It wasn't uh, the having our house put back together. It was in that moment an affirmation that I was exactly where I was supposed to be doing exactly what God had called me to do in that community, in that church. God was saying, I know you're struggling. Here you go. Here's a nice little affirmation, a nice little gift. And God used the generosity of others to put our house back together, to, to uh, meet our needs, to furnish that house. And in the end, we ended up with a house that was much better than what we had because we found out it was eat up with termites in some parts. And so God even used that circumstance to show us our house was about to fall down on one side. And so, I mean, it was, you're watching God provide. And then also uh, fixed it so that we got back in our house really before our neighbors did so that I could then focus on my attention of getting some of these teams to our neighbors' houses. And God just worked through that whole situation and showed me how the generosity of others can be an encouragement. And it, listen, 16 years later, and it's still encouraging me uh, what God did through that circumstance. So the importance of generosity, the importance of encouragement. Barnabas people at Wall Highway Baptist Church. I think we should all want to fall into that category by your simple acts of encouragement, by providing for the needs of others, sometimes through ministries within the church, sometimes outside of the church, with your offerings, with your love, with your ability, with prayer, with whatever resources that God has given you to share. Using you, God can use you, the love of him through you to touch the lives of family, children, adults, senior adults, homebound people in the community, outside the community. Don't ever underestimate the power of encouragement. I think we should all desire to have a heart like Christ and a nickname, a sobriquet like Barnabas. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for being an encouragement to us. Thank you for giving your son, Jesus Christ, so that we could be saved, so that we could be forgiven so that we could be set free. And I pray that if there's someone today who doesn't know that encouragement, that they would reach out, that they would cry out to you in this moment, in this time, and just invite you to come into their lives and free them from sin, anything that entangles them. And Lord, I pray that those of us who know you would desire to be a Barnabas to somebody in our lives, that we would be open and and looking and look, look at the world through your eyes and see those people in need. And Father, that we would take advantage of those opportunities, that we wouldn't be so wrapped up in our lives that we are oblivious to the people around us and that we would seek to be encouragers to the people that are close to us. Sometimes we're blind to the needs of people right next to us because we're focused in other areas. And I pray that, that we would, the people that are closest, that are serving alongside us, that are, that are within this church body, that we, we, we can't forget the context of this, that Barnabas was encouraging those within the church, so that they could go out and fulfill the ministry, the mission that God had given them. And I pray that we would, Father. I pray that you would give us a heart like Barnabas, your heart. Lord, that you would use this to create an atmosphere of encouragement that is so contagious that it spreads like wildfire through our congregation. Lord, I thank you for encouraging us. Help us to be an encouragement to others. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand for a time of commitment?